0: on today's locked on thunder podcast the oklahoma city thunder have figured out how to pivot and beat you in multiple ways we'll talk about that coming up
1: you are locked on thunder your daily oklahoma city thunder podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Email the show, Pod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Thunder's ability to pivot and win in different ways. SGA is unguardable and should be the leader for MVP right now. Michich getting minutes and looking better each game. Isaiah Joe's impact and so much more. Today's show is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with the personal supply of five antibiotics to treat fifty plus infections. Go there today, JaceMedical.com, by using code Lockdown to get twenty dollars off your first order. That's J E S C Medical.com. So the Thunder. Had a two game, you know, mini homestand to break up this long road trip, and they were completely healthy. Literally not a single person on the injury report. So they had to make three healthy inactives Poku, Lindy Waters, Olivier Saar. You can find that interesting as Poku has been uh, heavily leaned on as an inactive, even while healthy um, for his future. But we're mainly going to focus on what the Thunder have done. To show that they're not one-dimensional. Now, there obviously are qualifiers, as there are every game. You are never going to, uh, or very rarely in the 82-game season, going to play a team that is fully healthy, that has an even rest advantage, that is perfectly, uh, 100% who they are as a team. That's just fantasy land. So it's hard to, to evaluate the NBA through that lens of, oh, but... But, of course, it has to be discussed where the Magic are on the second night of a back-to-back. There are missing window Carter, Joe Ingles, Franz Wagner, Markel Fultz, Gary Harris, Judd Howard. You know, they did not have their collection of talent. That, of course, uh, is obvious. But the Thunder, still in this game, finished the homestand 2 0 They survive a really, really tough stretch, and they showed that they have the ability to pivot. They are the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. Currently, they're two-tenths of a percentage point at number two, but for the majority, 99% of the season, they've been the top-tier team in the NBA shooting the basketball. They made just eight threes on 36 attempts in this game. In the first half, the Thunder shot three for 22, right? like This is a horrendous shooting game for Oklahoma City. What has clearly been an outlier to this point in the year is this shooting night for Oklahoma city. They typically are a lot better shooting the basketball and the difference in the thunder and other teams, what makes them so successful this season is that they can beat you in a multitude of ways. The majority of teams who, who are the best three point shooting teams in the NBA, the top half of of three point shooting in the NBA, when those shots aren't falling, they have no off speed pitch. That is their bread and butter. That's what they use uh, to close out counts, to close out batters, is their three-point shooting. And you kind of walk in and you say, well, is the ball going in? That's going to be a win. If it's not, it's going to be a struggle and likely a loss. But the Thunder have so many different areas where they can attack you that it, it just doesn't matter as much for them when their shots aren't falling. Obviously, you'd rather make every shot you take than miss but it's not a death sentence when those shots aren't falling for Oklahoma city. This is going to happen in the postseason. This will happen. It could happen any night in the NBA where you just do not have your best uh, shot across the board because shooting slumps happen and bad bounces happen. Like we, we forget how difficult it is to simply make the shot just in general, how one slight bounce that you can't really control. Uh, just allows it to rim, up, rim out after being halfway down, and that's just kind of bad luck. So those kind of things are going to happen. It's how you respond to those things happening that make you or break you, that, that that decide if teams are going to be good teams or bad teams or middling teams. And the Thunder's ability to shoot the lights out of the gym and dominate you that way, but also attack downhill relentlessly between rim pressure of their on-ball creators. The back cuts that they use, pick and roll threats, the the ability that they have to space the floor and have the the aware positioning that they use, right? Like how many times have you seen Wiggins? You know, Wiggins like not really cut, but also not stay stationary. He just kind of floats to the right spot and floats to the open space. Isaiah Joe, another example. Casey Wallace, another example. Chet Holmgren, another example. All these guys understand where the open space is at and how to fill it and who's going to what destination so you're not kind of all jumbled up together, this team rarely gets clogged up in any specific area. And because of that, they're able to hit so well at the rim, whether it be on cuts or just having enough space to operate to take a one-on-one guy to the basket, because this team is so lengthy and so athletic, which is how they're designed with everyone being a playmaker, everybody creating on ball and being so versatile, that if you get a one-on-one chance, whether it's Jada versus or it's or it's SGA, against Jalen Suggs, no matter what the situation is, if they have a crease and they have space, they're going to convert at the rim. The Thunder shot 72% at the rim, and that's how the Thunder won this game. They're going to find ways to score. They shot 50% in the mid-range, in the long mid-range, in this game, according to Clean the Glass. They are going to adapt to whatever style is necessary to win basketball games especially because of their defense. You know about how defense turns into offense, but, you know, yes, that is true in terms of like raw points created in transition and off of missed shots and everything else. But it also helps your offense when they're going through a struggling period like the Thunder were in the first half. This first half was 49 to 40 intermission. Like this was a a bad scoring game for the modern standards at halftime. But the defense is what kept this game close and allowed the Thunder to, to you know, have a nine-point lead at halftime because you can hang your hat on getting stops. And you rack up enough stops, and this team is just too talented not to have a few scoring flurries where you can look up and say, wow, this game has lacked flow, this game has lacked offense, this game has lacked you know consistency but yet somehow the Thunder have a double-digit lead or have a nine-point lead. It's because they're too talented offensively, not to just have a 4-0 run by Shea, 6-0 run by you know, Isaiah Joe, a 7-0 run by up himself. Like These type of things just stack on each other. And then defensively, they're going to go through these monster stretches where you just cannot find anything to do on offense against OKC. While most teams sink, Oklahoma City is able to adapt to these scenarios. It's incredibly rare for a young team. It's something that uh, is way ahead of schedule, but it also is something that's true. And I don't really believe that, you know, the Thunder, because they have not played X amount of games, what's this magical number of games uh, where they'll just no longer forget how to play basketball? Because again, you watch this team all year long and you follow this team all year long, The only things that you can harp on truly is rebounding and an experience. They literally cannot fix the second one. And the first one is really tough to, to adjust to on the fly. They can try to improve it. I think that they will try to improve it at the deadline, but you know, still this team kind of is constructed the way it is. And yet still they sit with, you know, the best record in the West and one of the best teams in the NBA. The Thunder once led by 16 points. Magic never controlled a larger lead than two. Only two lead changes and two ties in this one. So the Thunder really did a good job of, despite not having their best best stuff offensively, they stayed in control of this game at an arm's length for the majority of it. It was funny that the, this game also, to kind of play more into changing to the style or adapting to bad scenarios. The Thunder only lost three bounds by four. However, they only lost second-chance points by one. However, the category the Thunder typically dominate against every team and every win is fast-break points. We've been tracking this for two years now. When the Thunder have their best success, they are the ones dominating transition, dominating fast-break. That was not the case tonight against Orlando. Like That was very surprising that the Thunder gave up a lot in transition, especially um, in, in, that, in that third quarter uh, for OKC. And yet, they still won this game fairly comfortably, right? It's a 12-point win, but like, as I mentioned before, it was a 12-point win, but the Thunder always felt in control for the majority of this contest. But their fast-break points went Orlando's way, not by a little bit. 23-8 to eight, Orlando won fast-break points. That is pretty interesting that all those things kind of went against OKC in the opposite direction, for against OKC in the opposite direction than they typically do, and the Thunder won this game. Uh, Okc had 23 assists, 21 for Orlando. The Thunder forced 15 turnovers and only turned it over eight times themselves. Limiting turnovers has been huge for this team all season long. It continues to do so. And the Thunder dominate points in the paint as they typically do by by 14. The the Magic shot better from the floor, 46 to 45. They shot two percentage points worse from three, 20 to 22. And then the big kicker, the the Magic only shot 62% at the free throw line, while the Thunder hit 85%. Of their free throws. So the Thunder's ability to pivot away from their bread and butter when they need to, because they don't have that option, right? They couldn't force the ball to go in. It wasn't as though they were jacking up terrible shots. And it wasn't as though Orlando was just playing lights out perimeter defense. A lot of these shots just did not fall when they were wide open. They can't really control that to a, to a certain degree. Their ability to pivot away from that and, and, and find something else that works and win a basketball game, is what separates them from previous Leonard teams, is what separates them from the rest of the NBA, as putting them into that upper echelon conversation. Another conversation that they've put themselves into is SGA, being the leader in the clubhouse for the MVP. I'll tell you why coming up. But first, I want to tell you right now, a bunch of good friends over at Jace Medical. Go to jacemedical.com uh, right now and, and check them out today because you can really you know empower yourself um, with, with the ability to – have the, the, the Jace case, which is five uh, plus antibiotics to, to beat a long, long, long list of um, uh, bacterial inflections and, and and things like that to really help you, uh, you know, have everything you need in case of any sort of emergency or in a pinch, especially as the roads get icy and it's tough to, to get out of the house. You can kind of have everything you need in case of, uh, you know, you have the flu or the flu season or anything else that might pop up. Uh, so make sure that you check it out today. Uh, at Jace Medical, because if you go there right now uh, to jacemedical.com, you can use the code Locked On for twenty dollars off of your first order. Uh, that's jacemedical.com. Use code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first order. Again, you can um, help yourself uh, feel feel you know reassured as you buy uh, your Jace case to help you be provided with five antibiotics that can treat fifty plus infections. Uh, to go get yours today at Jace Medical using code Locked. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. SGA continues to be unguardable, continues to be elite. 37 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 3 steals and a block, 11 for 12 at the free throw line, 6 and 1s in this game, and the and 1s were spectacular. He had a legit interception. Ball was a skip pass cross court. He intercepts it like a defensive back. It uh, Goes co- coast to coast and is able to have an N1 in transition. Uh, he also had an N1 where he bumped knees with Jalen Suggs, and it was a little bit grimacing as they reviewed it for the flagrant foul upgrade. Um, but he's questionable against the Lakers. We'll see what that looks like uh, as the day progresses uh, for, for the game against L.A. This season so far, SGA has 39 and ones Second in the NBA behind only Giannis. And the biggest factor in that is his ability to ensure that you are wrong. SGA can force the defender to be wrong. If you pick him up too high, he can go around you. If you back off of him too much, he'll walk down to a spot and hit a mid-range shot. If you apply too much pressure on him, he will bump into you and get a foul call. If you get caught in the air, he will be so crafty to hit the shot and get the contact and go to the free throw line you cannot defend SGA. There is no, there is no magical elixir to stopping SGA from scoring. And the magic had no answer. Jalen Suggs couldn't do it. Paul Ben Carroll couldn't do it. No one could stay in front of SGA because he can just take what you're doing and make it the wrong move. Typically, Even against elite-level players, there is a sound strategy that oftentimes doesn't work because there are fantastic elite players on the other end that we're talking about here that score 30-plus points per game. But there is a right answer. There is no right answer for defending SGA. There is no game plan for defending SGA. There is no pickup point. There is no uh, pressure you should put into his body. Uh, There is nothing you can do because he can make sure that you're wrong a 4-0 run by himself to get the scoring started. And by the way, as he makes you wrong as a score, he also makes you wrong with the attention you give him. Because conventional wisdom tells you, hey, load up on SGA, shade over towards wherever SGA's at on the court, and when he drives, collapse in on him. And that can work whenever the Thunder don't have uh, top-tier you know, teammates around him. But as the team's gotten better, SGA has risen his playmaking ability. This is something that we saw in FIBA. When in FIBA, SGA improved his playmaking a ton. It's translated to the NBA tenfold. Some of these passes that he's making, he just could not make a couple of years ago, independent of who was with him on the court. But because he demands someone's attention and because he's so much more skilled as a passer, both with his accuracy as a passer. With his velocity as a passer to fit balls uh, uh, in between defenders, and his creativity as a passer, some of these jump passes, some of these bounce passes, he just never really seemed to look for or 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 understood or or whatever you want to call it uh, prior to this season, where he's really allowed himself to open up more as a passer, and even some of these passes that don't fall, you know, kickouts to Ludor, kickouts to Chet Holmgren, these passes, if they went in and they were counted as assists. Would be included on his highlight reel for the season. Like they're that good. He had this opportunity where he's driving in the paint. He's in the restricted area. His back is to the rim. And yet, as he jumps in the air, so do his defenders around him. And he kicks it out to Isaiah Joe for three. Uh, and, and that's just a wide open shot for Isaiah Joe. And he knocks it down as he typically does. But as a score, the reason he can make you wrong is his misdirection moves. It's the half fake spin move. The half fake spin is so lethal because he can spin off of either shoulder and score off of either, either leg falling away. So you have to respect the fake. There are certain guys who who use fakes where it just doesn't matter that they use the fake because you know, they're not going to do it. And if they did do that move, if they did do that setup, you would live with it, right? If a 10% three point shooter, caught the ball on the three-point line and pump faked, you're not going to leap into the third row to go block it, right? Because if he takes that fake and turns it into an actual shot, if you're wrong and you predict it's a fake and it's not, he's a 10% three-point shooter. If he hits one, right, who cares? The law of averages suggests you're going to be way better at just staying planted and playing defense than trying to contest that three for a 10% three-point shooter. Whereas with SGA, all of his counters are actually just things he can do. And they're actually just plays off of his next move to where you'd never really know how to predict what he's going to do next. And his game is so based upon being in control and, and being more methodical that he can just react to the defenders. And and, and it allows him to play at this slower pace where, He can then, I think at times, not even truly know as he's going into that first action if he's going to take this spin or not, if he's going to go up with this shot or not and let the game dictate what he does next. It's kind of very interesting to watch him just craft his way to being a score. And then you get to the defense, which when you're watching him play the passing lanes, stay engaged on switches. When he gets switched on to even the most talented players, he can truly compete as a point of attack defender and compete enough to get stops as a point of attack defender. He is doing everything he's doing offensively while leading the NBA in steals and, and, and really tying together a top half of the league defense, a top 10 defense in the NBA. Like he, he, what he does defensively is going to always be overshadowed by the, the offensive highlights. But you have to think about what if SGA treated defense the way other NBA stars treat defense. You know Luca, you know Trey Young, you you know these NBA stars. James Harden, you know, whenever he was uh, you know a superstar, you know what these guys look like on defense because of they let themselves be carried by their offense. If you had a superstar in Oklahoma City with that mindset, who had to share a floor with you know. Let's just say, you know, Josh Giddey, who's gotten better defensively, which we're going to talk about coming up the last two games, he's played better defense. But even if you think Josh Giddey is a future Hall of Famer, we can all admit he's not a point of attack defender, and you've got to hide him defensively in your team construct. If you had those two guys on the floor, your defense starts to to deteriorate if SGA is not willing to to put in the work on that end of the floor. To have that level of motor to play that excellent of defense, With being a 30-point-per-game score, with the usage rate of being in charge of facilitating an offense, with being the guy, should have him as the number one option for the MVP. Because no matter how optimistic you were in Oklahoma City, you never would have expected this team to have enough to be uh, the top team in the West. I mean, the Thunder are tracking to be not a top-six team, which was looked upon as their high-outcome result, not their top-four seed which was their just thunder-colored glasses preview uh, of this team. But they legitimately could be the number one seed in the Western Conference this year. SGA having this team at this level this quickly, we talk a lot about how you know the, 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 the younger players are outliers to what typically happens for first- and second-year guys. But Jadup is one of those second-year guys who are, who's looking fantastic. Who does he work out with the most? SGA, Chet Holmgren, Casey Wallace. Who do they look? Who do they look to? SGA, him being that leader, plays into how well those guys are playing. Him having that trust in these players plays into how well this team is playing. And so when you look at Joel Embiid, who, who, if you want to project, at the at the pace he's going on, will not be eligible to win MVP. He just won't be because he's missing too many games. And you look around at the MVP, you know candidates find me the player that has a better case than SGA. I think that SGA should be MVP right now. If the season ended, it doesn't end today. I think that SGA should be the odds on favorite to win MVP because I think that if he keeps up this pace and, and even if everyone else does as well, keep up their pace. I think SGA is the MVP of the, of the NBA for, for a multi-layered reason that we kind of laid out here, but it just continues to show how unguardable he is and how fantastic he is defensively and making a huge impact. We'll talk more about this game, including Chet Holmgren's progression and Micic getting minutes coming up. But first, I want to say right now, I bunch a good friend's over at FanDuel. FanDuel's awesome. Go check them out today at FanDuel.com slash locked on. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Check them out today. It's a perfect time to check out FanDuel because today, right now, you can bet on college basketball, NHL, NBA, and the NFL playoffs all today alone at FanDuel. And new customers can get $150 in bonus bets. That's guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet. You place any five dollar bet, you get 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. Check them out today at FanDuel.com slash lockdown. And you can even bet on today's game between the Thunder and the Lakers. So go check it out today at FanDuel.com slash lockdowns. The Thunder are
1: Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: We're back on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Chet Holmgren continues to make high-level reads. The ability to snap and clear is also the second biggest improvement from him or, or second biggest kind of point of how good he is right now. So the reads and snapping and clearing, we'll talk about both those right now. couple examples of him making high level reads. First one came in the first quarter. GA has the ball in the slot, high post. He's, he's posting up Caleb Houston. That is a matchup. The Thunder want, that's a matchup. Chet wants, that's a matchup that you like if you're Oklahoma city. However, as he's backing down Caleb Houston, you can see that Lou Dort is top of the key, wide open for three. And not only is he wide open for three, he's being defended by Koko who's on an island and cannot get out to contest Lou Dort. And so he gives the ball up to Lou Dort, who, who again, is wide open and cannot be contested, and Lou Dort nails a three. Now, Chet could have worked for, for a shot on Caleb Houston, and Chet's so good that you live with the results, good or bad but he passes up that opportunity to get Ludor to a wide open three, and Ludor Dort it in. And then you look at his reads as a cutter, which I think is, is, is one of the best assets that he has. Shot blocking is huge. Shooting is huge. But his ability to be a play-finishing cutter with as many passers and connectors as this team has makes this offense go. But his ability to read how the defense comes out is what separates him as an offensive weapon and is what is encouraging that this is going to be translatable to the postseason as the game gets more half-court oriented. If the defenses are stacking off of him too much, he'll just simply stay put, wait for the ball, shoot a three. If the defenses aren't set yet and he sees that there's no rim protection uh, down there, he'll just cut past his man on the perimeter and get the feed, hit an easy dunk, great play, quick offense, quick score. If they're playing too high on him, he can just dribble around the, the vast, vast, vast majority of his defenders who are going to have to have a harder closeout because of his shot presence. And the last thing he does on in terms of reads is that he uses how defenses are aligned to his advantage. Like If you go back and watch all of his cuts, he always goes against the shade. Wherever the defenses are setting up or gapping or, or paying attention to, He's able to get behind them and able to get to the rim. He takes advantage of every aspect of of the floor. He takes advantage of every aspect of the opposition. Now let's talk about the snap and clear effect, which for him is what I believe separates him from other rookies. What I believe separates him from other past successful rookies. What I believe can separate him as he progresses in his career from other top notch players his ability to not let one play good or bad affect the next play. He gets posterized on a dunk and he's not, you know, sitting there demoralized on the other end. He's not pointing fingers and and, and wondering how he got caught in that scenario uh, from the perimeter defender. He's not looking around. He's not loafing back. He gets posterized He's one of the first ones down the court. He's ready to go, and they run a lob play for him. He gets a dunk. He has this fantastic block of an Anthony Edwards. I mean, I'm sorry, Anthony Black driving layup, just swatting it a billion feet away. He's not screaming, hitting his chest, talking to Anthony Black. He's back down the floor in transition. He has this block against the backboard. Gets the gets the rebound, throws it ahead, keeps the, keeps it in play, again. He's just worried about the next play. He's just worried about making the next play. And so while you see players, you know, stay back and talk to the refs, trash talk a bit on the side, be lackadaisical getting back in transition, or not running the floor hard whenever it's it's offensive transition. Chet Holmgren is always worried about the next play. Even his complaining to the refs if you watch it, is in the flow of, of racing down the floor. It's throwing his hands up and maybe saying something while he's pretty well sprinting down the floor. Even when he has to you know, slip and fall, like whenever he falls landing awkwardly or slips in the lane, whatever, even that is something he quickly gets away from and gets back into the action. And that's what allows him to be so impactful is because in the grand scheme of things, you only have a finite amount of time each segment that you play to make an impact before you're on the bench. How you spin those seconds matter. How you spin those seconds determine how many opportunities you're going to get to impact the game on both ends. Especially for a player like Chet who can just destroy possessions. Imagine if Chet Holmgren spent more possessions, sitting back after he missed a shot at the rim and felt like he got fouled or even converted a shot at the rim and felt like he got fouled instead of getting back. And how many missed chances that would be to protect the rim, to force a turnover, to get a stop, to get a rebound. And those things add up over the course of a season, over the course of a game, over the course of a career. And so I thought that it was really cool to see Chet Holmgren. Who knows? He's under a microscope. Who knows everything that happens, especially negatively that happens is going to be plastered everywhere because people want their narratives about Chet to be right. And so to understand what that poster meant, but still forget about it. And you're onto the next play before the inbound is a special quality that not many players have, especially not very many young players have that. But Chet Holmgren was awesome. 15 points. Eight rebounds, a steal, uh, two blocks, fifty percent from the floor. Uh, did only shoot one for five from three, not having uh, his best shooting stretch, you know, in this game. But still, is able to be very impactful. Mijic, I thought this was Mijic's best game for a few reasons. Number one, the minutes are coming around just as we, just as we said. We said whenever he signed that he understood what he signed up for. He was not going to be a starter. He was not going to be uh, the, this come in and get a billion minutes a game kind of guy. He'd have to work in. He said as much uh, once we had media day and training camp, They still learned to adjust. And then throughout the season, as people were, were scared about his DMPs, I continue to say you know, that, that January stretch is going to be where it comes around. It's done that so far. It's it's came around for Mitric more often in the rotation. And I think that that's only going to heighten. I still think that Mitric will be an impactful player for the Thunder. His passing is so elite, and even if his passes only set up other actions and other passes where he gets a hockey assist or he just gets the thunder quickly into their next decision, even that allows this, especially playing with um, you know some some more rotational players, allows them to, to find their footing offensively. But the biggest difference in why I think that Michich will continue to get NBA minutes is that he's looked way more comfortable around other NBA athletes, he just looks the part more defensively where he's not just in in awe or not in awe in the sense of like he himself is in awe, but like athletically in awe of just getting blown by or overmatched. Like he's learning little tips and tricks about positioning uh, that that are helping him as being an off-ball defender to not be exploited. And then he's also learning just how the game is played, right? How the game is different from the EuroLeague, and how um you know stylistically it's different how the court physically is different and he's learning the players of of how to play with his defenders which is a big deal we talk a lot about offensive chemistry defensive chemistry especially in this switch heavy offense a defense is so important but you saw an example of how he is understanding his responsibilities more where Anthony Black puts him in pick and roll and he goes under the screen and and, and stays in front of Anthony Black. He's not not chasing over the screen because he understands, hey, we're going to let Anthony Black shoot. Don't care if it goes in or out. That's the game plan to let him shoot. Staying under the screen, he's not going to beat me at the rim. I think that the aspect of his offense coming around, the passing has always been there. Him scoring more, I think, will happen. It's already starting to happen. Seven points, three for five shooting. But I think that it's going to happen because he's so, with more minutes, he's so talented. And he's so, you know, crafty, if you want to call it that, but just savvy. Savvy as a scorer at the rim. Because let's face it, he's not going to be one of the top eight athletes on the floor. Probably not going to be one of the top nine athletes on the floor uh, whenever he's out there in the NBA. But you saw a couple of rim finishes where, one, he used his gather to his advantage, and the gather created space and and, and enough separation from his defender. And then two, he used a late pickup to put his body into his defender and gain a lane to shoot at the rim and score. So those things that he's able to do to, to compensate for the trade-off of not being able to blow past guys, not being able to just go absolutely over guys at the rim and jump over and play above the rim. And you know, he, I think he's going to be a better shooter than he's shown so far from three. He had a step back in this game, but he's not going to be Steph Curry, right? Those kind of savvy things that he, you know, that he has in his bag as a 30-year-old who's played high-level basketball, who's played in championships, who's won MVPs, those things matter a lot. And you're starting to see him implement them more at the NBA level. I think that another thing that goes for, and at times against Mitrich is that he's a loud player. He's a very loud player. His good plays are very wow you know, those bounce passes in the pocket to Joe Poster, uh, you know, the, the, the behind-the-back passes, the step-back three, those are very, ooh, what a play. But his bad plays are also, ooh, you know, it's a, it's an air ball. It's a bad turnover. It's a it's a lapse on defense. So, like, you have to take this game and remove yourself from, like, the instant reaction and try to find the why for, for Michich of why things happen good and bad, for him. And as we do with those rim finishes, as we did with those defensive uh, positives, seven points, two rebounds and assist the steal, three for five shooting. I think that Josh Giddy, you know, 12 points, eight rebounds, four assists to steal, only shot 33% from the floor. He has to continue. And he flashed this at times against Orlando. He was excellent at it against uh, Portland. He has to continue to use his frame to get defenders away from him. At the rim, if he can do that and unlock some rim finishing, which he did against Portland and did some in this game, he will grow exponentially as an offensive player. But two big plays really stand out from Josh Kiddie's game. Number one is a play that he had no involvement in hardly. One was a play where Josh Kiddie, sitting at the three-point line. He is wide open. He wants it. He's ready for it. He's calling for it. And as he's doing that, SGA is directing traffic, trying to to point to him and get him the basketball, get him the basketball, and the, the ball never came to him. The Thunder instead had a contested shot inside the arc. But still, him being confident in himself of wanting that opportunity, of wanting that shot in correlation with SGA, wanting him to get that opportunity, and trusting him in that moment, I think just reveals how this is the, the Thunder truly believe this can swing back to Josh Giddy. It did against Portland. He had the triple-double. He had all the great stats. You can go back and listen to what we said about that Portland game. He's got to stack that more consistently, and I still think that despite a poor shooting night, this was a good game from Josh Giddey. Uh, the second play that I think summarizes this game and Josh Giddy's improvement very well, he absolutely stunned Paul Caro in transition. Paul Caro launched a transition three thinking that Josh Giddy could not or would not pick up the ball and could not get out and contest that three in time. And Josh Skiddy not only made the right read as a transitional defender, but he was able to be athletic enough to get out there and contest the three. It forced the Ben Carroll miss. And that's when it really felt like the game was over after that miss uh from, from Ben Carroll. I think that overall he rotated extremely well on, on the defensive end. You know there was a there was a play where I think that some people can look at it and as he's flying out to the corner late to contest, and he is not getting a contest off, and it's an open three-pointer that splashes in for Orlando. You, you can look at that play and say, oh, that's on Josh Giddey. You know, he's not good enough. When you really watch the play, from what, from what I'm seeing, the Thunder should be rotating top to bottom and out, you know, kind of rotating uh, this way if you are watching on YouTube. <laughs> uh, but So the, the next move for Josh Giddy, instead of going back out, to the to the right side to that to that corner to contest, he should have been uh, being allowed to rotate left to pick up the next guy, and it, it kind of continues to go down in that direction. the The correct rotation never happened, so Josh Skiddy is forced to fly out late because someone else didn't do their rotation, and it looks on on you know the the split second shot is what's Josh Skiddy's fault. In reality, you know it, it looked like just some other lapsing on defense where you're trying to make up for it. To where it's that's where it gets really hard to um I think assess defense whenever you're watching it live and you're watching it just on Bali sports and you're reacting to it on Twitter and your head's down at times and you're tweeting and you're doing everything else, right? It's it's hard as well because we don't know for hundred percent fact what anyone's responsibility is on the defensive end, but you can kind of of course base it off of previous plays, previous you know looks in that way that were executed properly uh, and see everyone's job and kind of make an educated guess. But I think that overall Josh Giddey rotated extremely well on the defensive end for his standards and his rebounding was big, big, big for Oklahoma city um, in this game uh, for the thunder. Lou Dort, awesome all night, defensively locking down on defense, fighting through screens to stick with Paul Ben Carroll uh, and really efficient offense from him, which is all you can ask for. J Dub had the half court buzzer beater to end the third, which was awesome. He had a bucket where he just pushed Koga out of the way with his strength and got an and one. Uh, He he is feeling like he has another uh, just it's, he's just another player who the thunder can, can say, here's the ball. Now go make it happen. And if you get more and more of those players, you're going to have more and more success. We talked earlier about uh, Chet Holmgren's ability to have that snap and clear mindset. Another rookie who has that similar aspect is Kaysen Wallace. He's not letting this shooting slump get to him. And his shooting slump is not necessarily shooting just awfully, He's all, he, but he's also not shooting otherworldly as he was in the start of the year. In this game, he goes 0 for 5 from the floor, 0 for 4 from 3. It's clearly frustrating. He is frustrated. You can see him clapping after a miss or ah, going like that after a miss because he's taking good shots. Like Casey Wallace, there's one thing about him. Especially in this NBA role. You're never going to look at a Cason Wallace shot and go, what were you thinking? Like it's always going to be a good opportunity and a good look. And so when they don't go in, that's even more frustrating because you're wide open. You should make those shots, uh, is, is what you're saying if you're Casan Wallace. But what I find encouraging about Cason Wallace's game, even in a shooting slump, is that those misses never impact him in other aspects of his game. He never has defensive lapses because of it. He never loses engagement as a rebounder or, or, or trying to mix it up down low. He never allows it to impact how he has is a playmaker with the ball in his hands or a connector with the ball in his hands. He just continues to go about his game as if he's shooting five for five when he's zero for five. And that sort of mindset and maturity is what makes the difference for him as a player, because him as a player, he's a unique defender. Like, if this is how good he is as a rookie, then the offense can be really good, as it has been to this point in the season. He's been a really good offensive player as well. But if this is how good his defense is as a rookie, which is typically uh, behind offense for rookies, it's typically hard for rookies to make a big positive, you know, kind of staple on the defensive end. If this is how good he is, then it's clear that his NBA game will be predicated on his defense and will be predicated on um, him, he's going to become an elite defender in the NBA. I feel very confident about that. I love this defense pre-draft. I, I loved even more seeing it in the NBA. And I trust this organization to, to mold just top tier defenders. I think Kason will also be one of those guys. Then you've got to maintain that throughout the course of an two game season. You've got to maintain that in the playoffs, no matter what's happening around you, even if you're over five. And, and, and the fact that Kason can already do that as a rookie is encouraging for the, for his future. And then. Isaiah Joe continues to play well. He he just understands how to use the floor as an offensive weapon off ball. Nine points, two rebounds, and assist. Next up, it's the Lakers recap on Tuesday. It's the Clippers recap on Wednesday on the back-to-back. Stock watch Thursday. Friday, Jazz recap. Again, right now, it's Jay's questionable. Monitor that throughout the day. And until tomorrow, be good. and Be good to one another.
1: Hey, Prime members.